Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome. We're so glad you joined us this morning in our Sunday morning worship here at Bethel Hope. Uh, we pray that the Lord has been good and has been blessing. I know for me he has been. And uh, this is the day that the Lord hath made. And I've decided, or hopefully you have too, that I will rejoice. Hopefully we will all rejoice together and be glad in this day. Uh, we, we, we lift his name today. We want to worship him and praise him no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, no matter the situation around us. We want to lift his name because he is still worthy. Even in times like this, he's still worthy to be praised. Uh, as most of you know uh, that have been with us for some time, we've been teaching through Paul's letter to the believers at Rome since last summer. We picked it up last summer, been walking through uh, that letter, that book, the book of Romans, and we finally come to the end of this great letter. So today I invite your attention to the final three verses of this epistle. And it's found in chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, which, by the way, serve as Paul's closing benediction or doxology and his final thoughts to the people at Rome. And here's what it says. Let's read together. Romans 16, 25 through 27. Uh, the word of the Lord declares this now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is Paul's closing words, his final thoughts to the believers at Rome as he finishes this letter. And as we take our final look at Romans, I'd like to I'd like to summarize Paul's thoughts both in this doxology and throughout the entirety of this letter, I like to do that with our theme for today's message. That theme is this. You've heard it before. Power for living. Power for living. We need that today. We need power to live, power for living, power to encourage us, power to uh, inspire us. We need power for living. I believe the word of the Lord has that for us today. As you know, today is Palm Sunday which commemorates and celebrates the day recorded in all four Gospels in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19 and John 12. That day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as both savior and king riding on a donkey a few days before he would be crucified on Good Friday and rise from the grave on Easter Sunday morning. As you probably also know, the reason why we call it Palm Sunday is because a large crowd had gathered and as they gathered, they laid palm branches and their cloaks across the road, giving Jesus the royal treatment, while at the same time, time shouting out with loud voices, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Uh, I see as we look at Palm Sunday and, and recognize that today is Palm Sunday and the reason why we call it Palm Sunday. I see a relevant connection between the palm branches of Palm Sunday and our lesson from Romans. Uh, and, and for the next few minutes, if you allow me to, I'd like to investigate that connection. Uh, 
Uh, is that okay with you? I, I believe it is. I see you nodding your head, so I think I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, in order to investigate uh, the connection properly, I need to take a look at the source of the palm branches, the palm tree. That's the source of the palm branches. And so I'll, I'll, I'll look at that, take a look at that. I'd like to share some interesting facts with you about palm trees, if you'll allow me to. Palm trees are uniquely equipped to weather the most violent of storms. You may have noticed that when hurricanes, cyclones, and even tsunamis strike, and everything is destroyed in their path, palm trees are still left standing. Question is, how do they do it? Uh, how do they survive in, in, with all of that going on around them? How do they do it? There are at least two answers. Strong roots and a wiry trunk. Strong roots and a wiry trunk. Let's talk about strong roots. Most palm trees have a large number of short roots spread across the upper levels of the soil that they're planted in, which work to secure a large amount of soil around the root ball. This works to create a super large, heavy anchor that, it, that serves as a foundation, as opposed to having just a few strong roots. This wider network creates a bottom heavy base that helps keep the tree in place when there's trouble all around. And then they also have something unique. They have what's known as a wiry trunk. What this means is unlike other types of trees, the stem of a palm tree is made of many small bundles of woody material, which are like bundles of wires inside a telephone cable. That's kind of what it resembles. This allows the palm stem to bend over to 40 to 50 degrees, bending without snapping, bending that far without breaking. That's the palm tree. It has unique capabilities and abilities to withstand storms. In Psalms 92 verses 12 through 13, the psalmist draws a comparison between the believer and the palm tree. When he writes this, he says this, uh, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. That's what the writer of the Psalms of this Psalm says about the believer, the righteous, uh, that they are just like a palm tree. The palm tree, uh, as I said before, is able to weather the strongest of storms because it's strong roots because of its strong roots and unique durability. For the believer, as we talk about how we are similar and the psalmist says that we are similar to this to this palm tree, uh, solid faith bolstered by sound theology provides this stability, this stability that the palm tree enjoys as a, as a result of its root structure. The believer enjoys as a result of our sound theology. There is no other book in all of scripture that provides as much sound foundational theology as Romans. Uh, I knew I told you I was going to tie it back in together and we're there. That, that, that's how we're going to tie it back together. There is sound 
theology, which makes for a firm foundation and root structure in the book of Romans. This is actually the perfect series to be wrapping up right now because of the doctrinal truths Paul has shared that serve as a strong root system for the Christian to weather any kind of storm. Uh, whether that be coronavirus, whether that be uh, sickness, whether that be uh, uh, anything that may come our way, uh, we have a structure in place. Paul has given it to us in the book of Romans. In the 9,422 words and 434 verses of Romans, Paul has one goal. That is to teach around the overarching theme of the righteousness of God. That's his theme, that's his goal, is the righteousness of God, including all of the implications of this great theological truth. So he opens in chapter one, verses, verse 18 through chapter three, verse 20. He opens the book of Romans explaining that no one is righteous in, the sight, in, in God's sight. No one is righteous in God's sight. Then he moves on to the next uh, discussion around righteousness. And he says this uh, in 321 through 521. He explains that as a result of the fact that no one is righteous in God's sight, God provided righteousness as a gift. God provided righteousness as a gift. And then Chapter six, verse one through chapter eight, verse thirty nine. He explains that the righteousness of God is the goal of salvation. The righteousness of God is the goal of salvation. And then in chapters nine through eleven, he explains how and why God makes his gift of righteousness available to the Gentiles. It's available to them. And he explained Paul explains it. In, in chapters nine through 11. And then we move to chapters 12 through 15. And here he discusses how the righteousness of God is to be reflected by believers. Simply put, he says this, we ought to reflect the righteousness that God has given us as a gift in our daily lives, in our interactions with one another, in our goings and comings in the world. The righteousness of God should be reflected in our lives. Paul really completes his teaching on the righteousness of God in chapter 15. So when he arrives at chapter 16, he closes this letter by offering personal words of greeting. And not only that, most importantly, final words of exhortation. That's what he does in chapter 16. It, 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 it's kind of a postscript to the entire teaching that he does in chapters one through 15. But even in this postscript, we find very valuable insight and encouragement for daily living. That's what we need in times like this. We need encouragement for daily living, insight from the Lord on how it is that uh, we can live our lives and, and, and not only live our lives, but represent and reflect him in our lives. We need encouragement. And so he opens, Paul does this final chapter uh, in verses one through 16 of chapter 16. He opens this final chapter in those verses, taking time to offer commendations and greetings to 29 people who he lists by name. 
people who had served with him, people who he was commending to the believers in Rome that they, that they would be received and that they would be greeted with the love of God because of how they had served alongside of Paul in his ministry. Then in chat in verses 17 through 20, he warned, he, he gives a warning to the readers. He warns the readers to watch out, watch out, be on alert, be watchful, be mindful. Don't, don't get caught sleeping. Be on the watch, be, be on the lookout for those among them seeking to cause division and create obstacles through false doctrine. That's what he warns them about. He says, beware of those who want to sow discord and division among you because that is a trick and a scheme and a strategy of the enemy. It is to sow discord, division amongst the body of believers, amongst the church. And if that happens, then he feels like he can get a foothold. Some of the greatest strategies of the enemy then in Paul's day and even now, they're still the same strategies. They haven't changed. They are still disunity, discord and confusion. The enemy is still up to that, still trying to do that even today, because if he is successful in doing that, he will be able to to shake the foundation of the believers uh, faith uh, in this discord and disunity. On the other hand, if we remain united, there's nothing that we can't do. If we remain united, we will be the church that Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against. But it's the reason why Paul says in chapter 15, verses five and six, he says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason why Paul writes it, because Paul realizes and recognizes what we have to realize and recognize today. And that is that we can do more things united together than we ever can if we're separated and, 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 and not united together. And so the enemy wants to do that. And so Paul warns the readers uh, of his letter that he sent to Rome that they should be on the watch, on the lookout for those whose purpose it was to do exactly that, to destroy the, the faith and the resolve uh, of the believers there, to, to, to shake the foundation of their faith by sowing disunity and discord through, watch this, false doctrine. That was what they were trying to do. And so he says this, Paul says, be careful of that. Also watch this and be careful of this. Guard against naivete. Don't become, don't be naive to things that are going on around you. Always keep both eyes open and always be aware of what's happening. And don't fall for the proverbial banana in the tailpipe. Don't fall for the okie doke. Uh, you have to say to those that attempt to try to sow discord and disunity. Uh, and, and, and we're not necessarily uh, singling out people. I'm saying the enemy uses this as a strategy. And so you have to say, especially in difficult times like this, you have to look him in the eye and proclaim uh, with the love of Christ and with the confidence that we have in him that I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. 
Amen. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. I'm tell you what that means. It means that I've been around the block a few times with God. And I know too much about him for me to ever doubt him. No one can cause me to doubt my God and waver in my faith because, listen, let me tell you this. He brought me from he's brought me from such a mighty long way and he's brought us all from a mighty long way. And no one through false doctrine or anything else will uh, will cause me to waver in my faith. And so Paul warns the recipients of his letter against that. Hold on to what you have, because watch this. Their faith and faithfulness was famous. Paul says, maintain your famous reputation of faith and faithfulness. Maintain that they were well known for their faith and their faithfulness. And Paul says, hold on to that and maintain that. And he says, if there ever is a doubt, if you're ever in doubt of what to do, refer back to my teachings in chapters one through 15 of this letter. That's what Paul says. He says, refer back to that. Then we move on to verse 20. And in verse 20, he reminds them of a powerful promise, a powerful promise. He says this. He says this to them. Uh, he says the God of peace is also this is this is this is my paraphrase of what he says. He says, though, he says the God of peace is also the king of glory. God of peace is also the king of glory. He, not only is he the, the God of peace, the king of glory, he's also the Lord of hosts. That's mentioned in Psalm 24. You know what the end of Psalm 24 says, David writes, he says this, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. The question is raised, who is the king of glory? David says, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. You know what that psalm reminds us of? It's the same thing that Paul is reminding us of in Romans 16. And that is this. The Lord promises to fight our battles for us. He promises to fight our battles. He is both lamb and lion. He is both comforter and captain. And Paul says in this powerful promise in verse 20 that he will soon crush our enemy, Satan. And that's a powerful promise for us today. It gives us hope to keep pressing on. It gives us encourage, encouragement to know that, that the Lord will fight for us and that he will. He has already won and he has given us the victory. And so then in verses 21 through 24, he pauses briefly in chapter 16 after doing this and after the greetings at the first part of the chapter and after this promise and after this warning in chapter in verses 21 through 24, he pauses briefly to list the names of eight men who were with him in Corinth and sent greetings along with him. These eight men sent greetings to the people in Rome. Uh, they serve with Paul and they send greetings. And so he pauses to recognize them. And then we at last make it to this doxology that we read earlier in verses 25 through 27. And here Paul says this uh, again. This is this is me 
uh, kind of paraphrasing what I think Paul is really saying is this is this. I want to leave you with these thoughts. I think this is what he says. I want to leave you with these final parting thoughts. Here it is. Number one, he's able. Then Paul, I believe, would tell us today through this letter, not only is he able, but I think he would talk about what he's able to do. And then lastly, I think he's going to share with us uh, why he's able to do it. Number one, he's able. Then Paul is going to help us see what he's able to do. And then finally, why he's able to do it. First of all, he's able. Paul says this in verse 25. In the first part of verse 25, he says this. Now to him who is able. We can just stop right there. That's, that's a word for us to know that we serve a God who is not only willing because I need to say to you, I'm willing to do a lot of things, but there's a lot of things that I'm willing to do, but I can't do. I'm not able to do. Paul says this. We serve a God who is not only willing, but he's able. The word able that, that that's here in this text is the Greek word dunamai. It's similar to the Greek word dunamus, and they have similar meanings. You know that dunamus means power. Well, this word dunamai that Paul uses here means a similar things. It means having power, having skill or the means to do something, having the power. So that means that you not only have a will to do it, but you actually have the power and the skill and the means or the resources to do exactly what it is you said you were going to do. Having considerable proficiency or intelligence. That's what that word means. And I don't know about you, but I know God to be a God that has all of those things. He loves us so much that he wants to do all that he can for us to provide for us, to make a way for us. Uh, he has that kind of a love for us. But what I love about the God I serve and the God you serve is that he not only is willing to do it. He has the resources. He has the power. He has the intelligence. He has the might and the strength to pull it off. And so I love that about him. And Paul says this. He says uh, he's able. That's word for you today. Know that God is able. Then Paul says this. He shares with us not only is he able, but then he tells us what he's able to do. And so in verses 25 B through 26, this is what Paul says. Paul says he is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And the preaching of Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command, the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul says, here's what he's able to do. He's able to provide strength and stability, strength and stability. Those are things that we need, not only today, but every day. Strength and stability. Not only those situational strength and stability, not only are those things provided for by God, but also, which are, which are by the way, very important. We need those situ for situations that we face, for circumstances that we face. We need those. But also it's bigger than that. It's greater than that because not only for situations, but he also provides eternal and salvific strength and stability. They were made possible by the gospel story, which God planned all along. 
So Paul says this is what he's able to do. He's, he's able to provide eternal, everlasting, salvific strength and stability through the gospel story. You know the story. The story goes a little bit. Now, by the way, before I get into the story, let me tell you this. God planned it long, long ago. And that's what Paul says here in this text, that it was planned long ago, but it's now been revealed. Here's the gospel story. You know it quite well. Jesus came. Jesus lived. He suffered. He died for us. He was he, he was crucified. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose early on Easter Sunday morning. He ascended to the right hand to, sit, to be seated at the right hand of the father. And it's not over because one day he's going to break the clouds and come back again. That is the gospel story. And that is what Paul says that God had planned since before the beginning of time. It's the gospel story. And so I love that about this text. I'm so glad that the plan is no longer a mystery, but has been revealed and is available now to me and to you. I'm so glad about that. And then lastly, Paul closes out uh, by saying uh, what he's able, why, though, he's able to do it. Not only that he's able and what he's able to do, but why he's able to do it. It's in verse 27. This is what it says to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Why is he able to do these things? It's because he is the only wise God. There's no one else like him. No one else could have devised such a plan of salvation. No one else could have accomplished this where in the plan that that played itself out like this, where innocent blood would be shed for the guilty, where true reconciliation and forgiveness are provided for where love conquers, covers a multitude of sins, where eternal life is promised, where faults would be overlooked and needs would be met where both Jews and Gentiles would be welcome, where death loses its sting and the grave no longer can claim victory. Only the wise God, only the only wise God could come up with and execute such a plan. Only him, only the one Paul writes about uh, throughout his writings can do that. And so then, I want to share with you this closing thought that takes us back to our original thought and discussion about palm trees. Here it is. We are like palm trees who are destined to encounter strong storms. We are destined for that. And like palm trees, we must have a sound base to weather the storm. Our base, our base is he who is able. Our base is he who is all wise. It's him who gives us all power for living. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you that you are that kind of God, that you are able, that you're willing. First of all, you love us so much that you're willing. But then you're also able. You don't stop at just being willing. You you are so, uh, so awesome, so omnipotent that you have the power to do whatever you're willing to do. We thank you that you're able. We thank you, Lord God, uh, 
uh, that you had this plan and that you revealed it to us and that through all of this, we have power to withstand whatever storm we might encounter. Because if we look to you, we know that you'll deliver us. You'll you'll give us what we need. We thank you, Lord. I pray for all those that may be watching and listening right now for the situations that we're all dealing with in our current time today. Lord, you know exactly what's going on. This did not take you by surprise. So give encouragement, lift up, bow down heads, bless those that stand in need uh, right now, because we know that you're not only willing, but that you're able. We thank you that you created us and you blessed us. And when you received us into your family, you made us like the palm tree. Thank you. In Jesus name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, I want to also invite you, if you're here and you're listening, that if you don't know Jesus, that you would surrender your heart to him right now where you are. It's, it's very simple. Just pray and ask him to come into your heart and surrender your life to him. And then he'll take care of the rest. If you just prayed that prayer with me, listen, I encourage you uh, to let us know about it. And we, we'd love to welcome you into our family. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to welcome you. But we'd just love to be able to be here to pray with you and pray for you. So let us know. Uh, if we could be of any service at all, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We have uh, many things available for the community during this time. Uh, so don't forget to let us know if you're in need or if anything like that. Uh, and then also don't forget to join us next Sunday and each Sunday morning for the foreseeable future until we get beyond this challenging time right here at 10 a.m. each Sunday morning. We look forward to being with you and worshiping with you and lifting up the name of Jesus together. God bless you all until we see you again. Amen.